This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide episode 343. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for listening and thank you for downloading. Great to have you with us once again. And a big shout out to our first time listeners. We're glad you found us and we hope you become regular listeners. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, why Labor's plans for half the cars in Australia to be electric by 2030 is an electric dream the study that shows the incredible growth of the app economy in Australia, and a new report reveals just how close we've become to our smartphones. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a listen to the Microsoft Surface noise-cancelling headphones. We check out the Ring stick-up cam, and we chat about the Thule backpacks that we've used to travel around the world. And we'll wrap things up with the voice bites on the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that can keep you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, last week... The Labor Party came up with a plan ahead of an impending election to have half the new cars sold by 2030 to be electric vehicles. And this was great news for, for the electric car industry. It's growing. More manufacturers are creating electric cars. But... Is this doable? I, I thought uh, for, for a start it was good to hear a politician talking about electric cars, but what was apparent was the lack of knowledge about electric cars, the infrastructure required uh, in general, and even a lack of knowledge from Bill Shorten, the Labor leader himself, who on live radio said that it would only take eight to ten minutes to charge a car, which is uh, obviously not right. And we're not taking into account there are plans and technologies being developed that can make the charging time of an EV faster. He wasn't coming from there. I think he honestly didn't know that it takes longer to charge an electric car. My my phone can't charge as quick as 8 to 10 minutes. So the reason I'm talking about it, and I've written a story, an opinion piece on Tech Guide, is that I, I drive an electric car. So I, I think I can speak with a little bit of authority. I've been driving a Tesla Model S for nearly a year now. So it's uh, it's something that I know know very well. Uh, the I bought, bought my Model S uh, in May last year, and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I love the car. I love driving the car. I love the fact that I don't have to pay for petrol. I love the fact that it's got a, a battery that I can charge. That, that's uh, and, and my management of that battery is the same as is my petrol management in my in my for my my previous cars. So it's never an issue. I've been asked, well, don't you get worried if your battery's low? Or I've all said, oh, do you get worried if your petrol's low? I charge up, you fill up. So that, that was the answer to that question. But to achieve this goal that Labor has put before us, uh, I think is impossible. It's an electric dream, as I've uh, said in my story. Uh, and there's several reasons why I think that. Uh, it, it is, at the moment, the electric car industry in Australia, the number of cars on the road is minuscule. It's 0.2% of the cars sold in Australia in 2018 were electric cars. And to think that we can get that figure to 50% in just over 10 short years is highly unlikely. Other countries uh, have 
closer to that figure because there are incentives uh, and ways to charge and, and the lack of government incentive here I think is one of the reasons why sales of EVs are being held back. But probably a bigger factor in that is the fact that EVs are expensive. At the moment, they are not cheap. They're a luxury car. The, the, at the moment, a Tesla Model S or a Model X will set you back more than $100,000, as would the brand-new Jaguar I-Pace, which has just been released. There are other plans from other car manufacturers like Mercedes-Benz, Audi, Volvo, and Porsche to also release electric vehicles soon. But can you see any of those brands bringing out a sub-$100,000 electric car? No. Hyundai has brought out a car, an electric vehicle, and it's around the sixty to $70,000 mark. So judging just by that, it is not a cheap experience, a, a cheap venture to go electric. So that, that's one reason that's keeping sales down. So what, what's going to change in the next 10 years? I don't know. They're, they're going to have to be more, uh, more demand for cheaper electric vehicles. There is a, the Model 3 coming to Australia later this year. That's a cheaper sub $100,000 electric vehicle, sort of the, the cheaper version of the Model S. That's what I drive. My car on the road was about $140,000. So the Model S will hopefully be around eighty dollars to $85,000. That, that's a, that's, within easier reach of new car buyers. But the other things to take into account, apart from just the price of electric cars, which are very high at the moment, and that will gradually change, I think probably in the next five to six years you may see that change. So again, the, the 2030 target of 50% new cars electric is just a, is a pipe dream. Uh, but the other things that need to be taken into account is the if let, let's just say that labor labor's plan let, let's say they get we get to 20% of new cars sold that's a hell of a lot of cars on the road that now require electricity to be charged so that means there needs to be infrastructure there needs to be uh, ways for the grid to handle this uh, the demand for charges is going to increase so there is a need to have the infrastructure to to be able to facilitate to to give these car, these drivers the opportunity to charge up their car as easily as they would uh, with their petrol car driving into a petrol station. So that's another thing that, and in ten years, that that's going to be really really difficult to achieve. Tesla has a supercharger network, but they're for Teslas, and it's growing. It, it means you can drive all up and down the east coast of Australia. Uh, it's, it's growing across the other parts of the country. They're not there yet. I've had a few people commenting saying, well, well, I'll never drive my car across electric car across the Nullarbor. Well, of course you wouldn't. There's no charges out there yet. That's not to say they're never going to be there. So it's still very much in its infancy, the electric vehicle industry in Australia, and the, the need for this infrastructure is evident. For, for them to even come close to having that target there needs to be a hell of a lot more charges and facilities for drivers to to charge up their vehicles. I've just recently returned from Paris, where that's where I actually heard this announcement. And it's relevant, the fact that I was in Paris, because I did notice that Paris being a very built-up city, so similar to New York City, where nobody lives in the houses, everyone lives in apartments, so there's nowhere to park your cars, No, mostly people park in the street, there's no off-street parking, yet there are still 
many, many places to charge your vehicle. I noticed on the footpath in some some areas of town where there were what appeared to what appeared to be parking meters, which were actually car chargers. So there is that infrastructure available already in a city like Paris where uh, there, there isn't as much open space and off-street parking and garages for drivers to have their own personal charges, yet there was all these facilities and infrastructure that existed already there. So they're already ahead of us uh, in, 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 that, in the electric vehicle market. Australia needs to catch up seriously to even go near, to even get a 10% of that target, there still needs to be a lot of changes. Now, here's the other conundrum, though, for the Labor Labor's plan. And Labor have made no secret of the fact that they're probably a little bit more environmentally tuned to uh, to things than the Liberal Party. They're, they're a lot greener than the Liberal Party. They're talking about uh, more renewable energy and they're talking about climate change, burning less coal, uh, using using more solar energy, all of those sorts of things. Well, the problem is that if everyone is, if half the population or half the new cars on the road are electric, that's going to be a, a huge a pressure put on the grid. So not only are we using the grid for our regular electricity needs, we're suddenly now having to charge our cars off the same grid. So if if you think that uh, we're not going to be needing coal, coal fire, coal power stations to give us that base load power, then it, it's it's it, it's going against Labor's move away from coal. There's going to be a sudden demand by this bold plan. It's going to put way more demand on the electricity grid, which will need to burn more coal to produce the electricity for the cars. Now, I've had a few smart Alex say to me, uh, well, you drive an electric car, but you still need to burn coal to provide the electricity to charge your car. And I say, wrong. I have solar panels at my place and I charge my car at home. I've got solar panels and a battery, and I charge my car. Whatever goes into my car comes straight from the sun. So there is a potential solution as well, where in the future it may need you may need to have the, uh, the a solar solar capacity at home to be able to provide that added power required to charge your electric vehicle. And we're talking. Electric vehicles aren't cheap, as I mentioned before. Having a solar system, my solar system cost me close to twenty thousand dollars. So, if you expect, if if people know, think that okay, I'm going to need to get a solar system as well as paying extra for an EV, that's going to be difficult. So, what's the solution there? Are, are we suddenly going to provide all this extra electricity for half the population to charge their vehicles? This, these are the questions that need to be answered. And look, I applaud the Labor Party for for going down this path and for even talking about electric vehicles, I think it's great. But I think that there needs to be a little bit more thought put behind this plan and this goal. Uh, it's easy to write numbers on a piece of paper or on the back of a coaster and, and, and write type things out in a press release, but it's another thing to deliver on that on that promise. Uh, at the moment, I, I see it as as near impossible to achieve even half of that target by 2030. And and things need to change. We need more infrastructure, we need cars to get cheaper, and we need to work out a way to cope with the added demand on our electricity grid. 
EVs. I'm all for them. I own one. I think they're the future, but we need to come up with a plan to be able to go close to meeting Labor's target. If you want to read that complete story, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Next up, we're going to talk about apps and in particular, the app economy. What is the app economy, I hear you ask? Well, the app economy is actually the jobs that have been generated by uh, this massive app industry. So developers and businesses that have developed apps and not only the IT departments, but all the marketing departments and all these people that are suddenly involved in this economy. And it's created more than 130,000 jobs in Australia alone. So who would have thought back in 2007 when the iPhone was revealed that this massive industry would develop? Uh, A report from the Progressive Policy Institute on the App Economy 2019 has showed this um, remarkable side effect of the smartphone, if you like. Apple opened the App Store, if any of you remember, back in 2008. That's 11 years ago, nearly 11 years ago. I think it was in the middle of 2008. And there were only 500 apps in the App Store, would you believe? Now there are millions of apps in there. And it really changed everything. It changed the way we work, the way we play, the way we travel, the way we meet each other. It has totally changed society. And as a result, there's all these new jobs created, this whole new industry. Today, the App Store is available in 155 countries with half a billion visitors worldwide each week. And to date, that's generated more than $120 billion in earnings. That's just from, from the App Store. I'm not talking Android yet. That's just from the App Store, $120 billion in earnings. And would you believe a quarter of that was earned in the last 12 months alone? So it just goes to show that there's still plenty of growth left in the app economy. So the, the app economy... Uh, in Australia, there are, according to the report, in uh, as of January 2019, Apple has uh, Australia, sorry, has had more has more than one one hundred and thirty six thousand jobs. So one thirty six thousand as of January 2019. That's up from one hundred and thirteen thousand less than two years ago. So you can really see the growth there, and that's made up. They've worked out that it's one hundred and twenty one thousand jobs in iOS apps and 106,000 Android app jobs. Uh, so, and, and in Australia, we are equal leader in the percentage of jobs that are made up by the app economy. So in Australia, that 136,000 figure represents 1.1% of all jobs in Australia. That's matched only by the US. They had 1.1% as well. It makes up 1% of the UK's jobs and 0.8% of Germany's jobs. So Australia, one of the leading countries per capita to have app economy jobs. And Australian apps have done very, very well around the world. Uh, There are a lot of apps that you may not even know are Australian that have been exported around the world. We're talking Fruit Ninja. How many of you have played Fruit Ninja? You know, you slash the fruit. That's an Australian development made out of Brisbane, that, that app. But there are others. Canva, Procreate, a brilliant drawing and painting app. Sweat, an exercise app. iAuditor, 
Invoice to Go. I'm sure you've heard of these. Oz Runways. These are all Australian apps that have gone around the world. So uh, they're, they're being uh, accessed by billions of people around the world. And bef- before the App Store was even developed, you think about how you we got our software. It was the software industry was controlled by only a few large companies, and so distributing software was controlled by these large corporations. Well, along comes the App Store who then provides suddenly international distribution of your product. So whether you're, if you've got an idea, whether you're a one-man band or a development studio, you now have access to billions of potential customers around the world. No wonder the app economy is thriving. And the thing is, the app economy still has a lot of room for growth. This report says that the rise of IoT, Internet of Things, is really going to increase the demand for apps. So Internet of Things connections are expected to reach more than 4 billion by 2024. That's at a rate of growth of 27% annually. So that is a truly healthy industry that is still growing. And it is it is us smartphone users that is that has created the demand because we're downloading apps, we're using them for all kinds of things, and it's that the app develops developers see an opportunity to produce something that's going to potentially make their money, potentially change the world, potentially help us do things that we couldn't do before. The app economy thriving here in Australia. If you want to read more about that story, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Now, while we're on the subject of uh, of smartphones and apps, I thought we'd take a look at the report, the Mobile Nation report, which was released by the AMTA, the Australian Mobile Telecommunications Association, in association with the Deloitte Access Economics. And they've come up with some interesting highlights of how central our mobile devices have become in our lives. Uh, and with 5G connectivity just around the corner, these devices in our pockets are going to become even more important and even more valuable, add more value to our lives. Uh, The mobile industry has actually grown in the last six years by 43%. That's nearly doubled in six years. So you can just see the growth of, of the industry, how much it has become an essential part of our lives. Uh, how essential? Well, nearly all Australians, 94% of Australians now take their phones with them wherever they go. Are you one of those people? I'm sure you are. You're probably listening to this podcast on your smartphone out on out at the gym or on the bus or on a walk. Uh, so you are one of those 94% of people who take their phones whenever they leave the house. More people remember to take their phone than remember to take their wallet or their purse. So that goes to show that that kind of highlights also what smartphones have also replaced. For many people, they use their phones now as their, as their tap and go, their credit card, their bank. It's all there on your phone. Uh, 48% of us, when we're out, check our phones at least once every 30 minutes. Are you one of these people who look, checks your phone every half an hour? Our reliance on phones uh, is, is also pretty evident as well. 84% said uh, they find their device convenient. 69% said it's engaging, 66% it's help, said it's helpful, and for 71% of users, it also it makes them feel safer. 
I don't know whether it's a security blanket or the knowledge they can ring someone if they get in trouble, but either way, it makes them feel safer, which is pretty cool. But not all of this, these uh, stats are positive. Uh, in fact, there are concerns for our data security. 87% of respondents said that they were concerned about that. And 57%, that's more than half, were worried they were going to be too reliant on their smartphone. So there's that as well. Uh, today, 60% of Australians admitted that their mobile phones had actually replaced at least three items in their in their lives. Can you guess what they are? Well, number one would be their camera. You don't need to carry a camera around anymore. You also don't need to carry a separate separate audio device. The other things that it's replaced are your home phone for many people and a phone book. Who's ever used a phone book anymore? You can look up stuff on, on your phone. You've probably got your list of contacts, but you can easily find stuff using your device. So... The, the other thing we've got to talk about with smartphones is the introduction of 5G, and that, that's only months away. We're, we're going to see that in the first half of 2019. And there again, 5G, its speed and its capacity is really going to be a game changer for the mobile industry. Uh, we're talking, uh, according to the report, it's going to be worth $65 billion to the Australian economy by 2023. That's the equivalent of 3.1% of our GDP. So... 5G is going to make things faster. It's going to make things better. It's going to open up all these opportunities across a variety of industries where our mobile phone is an essential part, whether we need to access data quicker, whether we can access Internet of Things devices. So this 5G, this this smartphone, which is already kind of the remote control of our lives and something we, we take wherever we go, is going to become more valuable than ever with 5G. That report, an interesting one. If you want to check that out, you can see it at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand, and they've issued a challenge. They've issued the Orbi Home Wi-Fi Challenge. If you buy a Netgear Orbi Wi-Fi kit, and if you don't get better home Wi-Fi, they will give you your money back. That's, a, that's quite a promise. They're, they're confident with this device. The Orbi Wi-Fi systems are designed for any size home, large or small. And for those times when you need more, Orbi add-on satellites can give you additional coverage inside and out. So you can extend your coverage to the backyard, the garage, or even the granny flat. Today's modern household, the Orbi's tri-band Wi-Fi system lets you stream your favorite movies in 4K and play online games by providing ultra-fast Wi-Fi no matter how many devices are connected. Orbi plugs into your existing modem and is really easy to set up with just a couple of clicks and not only does it work great it looks great too and blends into your home's decor orbi's the easiest fastest and most expansive and advanced mesh wi-fi network available today for more information visit netgear.com.au orbi better wi-fi everywhere and now a tech guide review with stephen fennec Alrighty, kicking off the reviews this week, we've taken a listen to the Microsoft Surface noise cancelling headphones. Uh, impressive, I've got to say. Microsoft's on a roll, I think, with their, their soft, the hardware they've produced lately. Of course, there's the Surface Pro, there's the Surface Book, and now its latest product, the Surface Headphones. And these are noise cancelling headphones, and it, it enters a market. It's taking on uh, the likes of Sony and Bose, 
and which is a pretty competitive market for for a company like Microsoft, which is which is not a really recognised audio brand. They do have their work cut out for them to lure those customers away from those established brands. But let's talk about the product. Uh, Design-wise, really nice. It is really, you can tell just when, for the minute you take it out of the box, it's really high quality uh, and, and designed to be worn comfortably for hours. The ear cups are beautifully soft, uh, made of leather, so they sit on your ears really comfortably. And even just sitting on your ears, they also have a very, comf- not only a comfortable fit, but also block out a lot of the outside noise. And, that, and that's without even the noise cancellation turned on so right off the bat your noise cancellation you're really isolating all those ambient sounds around you uh, really comfortable to wear as I said uh, and really easy to connect to the bluetooth on this thing is incredible the the connectivity uh, it's obviously bluetooth connects wirelessly whether you've got a pc a phone a mac whatever you happen to be using tablet uh, and what I found for our review I, I had it connected to my smartphone and I would walk away from the phone, I'm talking to the other end of my house, about 15, almost 20 metres away, and I'd still be connected via Bluetooth. So the range was was great. So you don't have to carry your phone around at home. You can still have, or in your office, you might have that same setup in your office where you, you don't want to, you want to hear your music or whatever you happen to be listening to and not have to carry your phone around with you uh, in that area anyway. So uh, very impressive with that. Uh, the, the, one of the things that I really liked about the Surface headphones are the controls, uh, adjusting your volume, adjusting even the level of noise cancellation, uh, as well as navigating your music or answering or, or or ending calls is all done with the ear cups. Now, one thing I found with other headphones uh, have they've got all these little buttons. You got to remember to press these and remember the where they are on the ear cups. It's a real hassle. But what what I loved about the Surface headphones is there are dials on each ear cup. The left one is to uh, adjust the level of noise cancellation. The right one is for volume. So if you want to adjust the volume, just a little twist of the right ear cup, and then you can turn it right up, right down, however you want. Now, with the noise cancellation, you need to have your music paused to really hear the difference here. But if you've paused your music, you can turn your noise cancellation levels right down. It'll also kick in uh, microphones so you can hear the ambient noise even better. So if someone's trying to talk to you or you're trying to listen out for your flight call, being your flight being called at the airport, you can turn the noise cancellation down to almost zero or right down to zero and be able to hear the outside with the assistance of the outside microphones, which, which makes that even easier to hear. Then when you're ready to listen to music again, you can, ra- you can ratchet up the noise cancellation back up to 100% again if you want. So you can hear nothing but your music and nothing but the movie or whatever you happen to be watching. Uh, I've got to say, in terms of the noise cancellation, uh, I haven't heard better. The noise cancellation is, is superb with these headphones. But how do they sound? Like listening to music, I listen to a variety of music and, and podcasts and, and audio books. And look, music's probably the best way to judge the, the, the quality uh, in my, um, of, according to my ears. Uh, I, I like the sound and I think they were a, a lovely warm sound. That There were 40 millimeter drivers on board. So uh, they're no slouches, these headphones. So really showed their authority. The music, as I said, had a, had a lovely warmth to it. Plenty of detail. But it just, to me, lacked the the crispness and clarity you'd hear with, say, a, the Sony WM3, 1000 WM3s or the, the Bose QC35 Series 2. They're the kind of the, the ballpark 
headphones because they're similarly priced. We'll talk about more about that later. Uh, the bass, I thought, was a little on the weak side. I- I'm a fan of having a little bit more bass. I'm not, not kind of Beats-level bass, but slightly more than average. I-, I, was, I was hoping there would have been – it would have been better having a companion app with uh, these headphones so you can maybe do a bit of equaliser adjustment, maybe have a, a bass-heavy mode you can plug into or something like that. Uh, there was no such thing offered. So – the, the Look, don't get me wrong, great sounding. Uh, Microsoft's first attempt at noise-canceling headphones were, were terrific, very impressive. Uh, I just don't think they're in the same class as Sony and Bose. And when, you, when you're asking for $499.95 for a pair of headphones and customers are looking at the now cheaper Sony and Bose headphones, I think... To be frank, Microsoft will lose that. They will uh, customers will stick with an audio brand rather than Microsoft. Unless you're a real Microsoft fan, you've got other Microsoft products. You can use Cortana and things like that. But uh, you, you, if you're going to drop five hundred bucks on a pair of noise canceling headphones then I think maybe customers are going to look elsewhere. If this was priced a bit more aggressively, maybe 349 399 maybe, then maybe they're in with a chance. Uh, the, the, from the research I did comparing the other prices, Sony's headphones, the 1000 WM3s, which to me are the, probably the best noise-cancelling headphones on the market, they're down to 399 and the Bose QC35s are down to 349 and And here's Microsoft trying to charge 500 for noise-canceling headphones, I'm afraid uh, they're going to lose that. But on their own, as I said, sound great. If you've got plenty of money and you want to you want to give Microsoft that much for uh, headphones that, frankly, don't sound as good as the Sony and the Bose headphones, then go for your life. But on their own, as I said, sound great. Great first attempt by Microsoft. Would love to hear what they come up with next uh, because they reckon they would have learned a lot from this. They would have got a lot of customer feedback, even hopefully feedback from these very reviews. So uh, I'll be keeping an eye out for Microsoft's future products. But as I said, on its own, sound great. Just not quite to the Sony and Bose level. If you want to read more about that review, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Okay, more reviews. Let's talk about the Ring stick-up cam. Now, Ring, as we know, is the doorbell company. The they've made the that's a pretty popular product, the Ring doorbell. I've got it myself. They've extended the ecosystem. There, there are now other cameras you can buy uh, with uh, light sense light sensors on board and other, other things. So, the latest addition though is the Ring stick-up cam, which, like its name suggests, means you can stick it up anywhere. You can put it inside or out. Uh, really easy to to install. Really easy to connect as well. Uh, all you need to do is find a place. You can mount it horizontally, so on a surface. You can mount it uh, vertically, so like on a wall. You can even hang it upside down, so maybe off a ceiling or, or a surface, a horizontal surface, uh, maybe the uh, the top of a, a deck or something like that. Uh, and it's really easy to set that up. As I said, just three screws, and there's even a built-in level, so you make sure you get it straight. Uh, and then once you've done that, once you've decided where you want to put it, it's then a matter of just syncing it to the app, finding the wireless network, typing in a password, and bing, bang, boom, you've connected the Ring app cam, the stick up cam. It is, uh, it's dead set 10 minutes work to get this installed and connected. And then you've got a full HD view 
of whatever you've aimed it at. And in our case, we aimed it at our backyard because, as I said, I was in Paris la- last couple of weeks and I wanted to keep an eye on my dogs. I wanted to keep an eye on Ziggy and Logan. I wanted to see what they were up to. Uh, I wanted to check in on them. I also set motion recording so anytime there was any movement, I could check on that at any time. Now, to have that luxury or that ability, I should say, you do need to have the service that allows you to look back at your video. So you need the Ring Protect plan. So it's just $4 a month or $40 annually. So it allows you then to look back, uh, I think, up to 30 days. If there's any movement that's being recorded, you can look at it. Uh, so it's up in the cloud uh, and all of those things. So worth having that extra 4 bucks payment a month or $40 annually just lets you access the videos that it records. You can do live views, which is what I did as well. That's free. You can live view. I was actually talking to my dogs through the camera. It's got two-way audio. And they were looking up at the camera thinking, where's this noise coming from? And uh, they went out in the backyard looking for me. I actually, I felt sorry for them thinking they're going to they're gonna miss me. But uh, miss me even more maybe. But uh, the, it was still handy though for me to be able to look into my backyard whenever I wanted to see what they were up to and uh, for, from anywhere in the world, whether I was across town or across the world. So it worked really well. Uh, the thing for me was one little downside to it is the battery life is could probably be a little bit better if you're away for a long time there's the potential that the battery will run out while you're away if you're away for say two to three weeks uh, you're going to be on fumes the battery by the time you get back especially if there's a lot of movement in front of the camera that it's recording that's going to use up battery life and in our case uh, it still had enough battery we were away for two weeks and it just had enough battery I actually I've been home a few days and I'll probably need to charge it up in a couple of days but just keep that in mind if you're away for a long time you may see the battery may run out uh, while you're away. So battery level could be better. Um, the other thing was uh, the connecting it was really easily. If, if, even if you're not, I mean, uh, mounting it is really easy. The, everything you need is in the box, including a drill bit. If you're going to, uh, you want to attach the camera to like a cement or a brick wall. If you're just connecting it to wood, there are three screws in there that you can just screw into the wood and, and you're done. Uh, that's really easy too. Uh, just on the battery, there is one workaround. Uh, you could purchase the Ring Stick-Up Cam Solar Panel. So if you don't want to worry, if you don't want to have that worry about your battery running dead while you're away, having the little uh, solar panel will solve that problem. So you can know that you are going to be fully charged all the time. You know, it's going to be topped up the whole time. The Ring Stick-Up Cam, it's $319. And if you've got a, a Ring system, it is well worth you taking a look at this. Uh, 319 bucks. If you want to read our complete review, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Now, next up, we're going to chat about backpacks, and in particular, the Thule backpacks. Now, I'm probably, probably wondering, what the hell... I've never heard of Thule. That's what I've been told. How, that's how I've been told to pronounce this name. Spelt out, it's T-H-U-L-E, which a lot of people may think is Thule. But according to Thule themselves, Thule is how you pronounce it, even though it's spelt T-H-U-L-E, Thule, a lot of people might be saying. Now, this is a brand that you've probably heard of. Uh, these, this company makes uh, roof racks, 
They make those roof pods. I'm pretty sure you've seen those bike racks. Uh, and in the uh, back years ago, they actually acquired uh, the company Case Logic, so they could extend their product range to uh, producing durable consumer electronic products to store your consumer electronics. So we write about a lot of products here, but you do need to carry them around and carry them around safely, as I do. I travel a lot, and I've been traveling with these tool these Tule backpacks. I've been using the Tule Subterra, the Subterra Power Shuttle for our chargers and cables, and the Tule Aspect, which is a specialized camera backpack. Uh, Tule was, uh, has been around for more than 75 years. Uh, it was founded by Erica Tulin. In 1942, that's Tulin spelled T-H-U-L-I-N. That's where the name probably comes from. But Tula is how you pronounce the name. Uh, and it has now full range of not only those products that I mentioned, the roof racks and roof pods, but now has backpacks for consumer electronics and also has a, a luggage range. And one thing that, that Tula does is create a, a, an in, a new industry standard for the quality of the bag. So the, typically, a luggage is made from 600D nylon. That's kind of the standard. Uh, well, Tule uses 800D to ensure that you're getting that added strength. So going over and above. Now, starting with the Subterra, this is a 30-litre backpack. That's the storage capacity. And this was my, my day, daily driver backpack because it carried my laptop, it carried my tablet. There was space uh, in the front pocket for the tablet, space in not only the back pocket but also the side pocket for the computer. Fits up to a 15.6-inch computer but also had pockets for pens and, and my phones and, and a little padded area for maybe you want to put your phone in a protected area, maybe a pair of glasses. Had water bottle holders on the side. Inside the main compartment, there was also plenty of storage space. So I used to put my charges, my batteries, uh, I even fit a, an SLR camera in there as well, even room for a book, and all these things all fit in this backpack, and it was really uh, comfortable to wear because it had these adjustable straps, had this breathable fabric on the back, so uh, it, it was really comfortable, and I was able to carry around a hell of a lot of stuff pretty comfortably. Uh, the side pockets are designed for your water bottle, but I mentioned I was in Paris recently, and you know what I put in the side pockets? And this is something that I've told Tule they should they should market this in the side pockets. I put my water bottle, but on the other side pocket I put my baguette. It's a great way to store your lunch. So if you've got a subway or a baguette, that's a, a nice storage area for that as well. I've invented that use for it, and I, I think I told them if they want to go with that in their marketing, to feel free to use that. Now the other thing I use was a, a related product, the uh, Subterra Power Shuttle. This is uh, the backpack, by the way, is two hundred ninety nine ninety five. I'll talk more about the price in a moment, but the uh, little Subterra Power Shuttle that's forty nine ninety five, so it matches the the Tula Subterra bag. And this was a great way to carry around cables. You've got elastics to be able to store your cables neatly, little charging plugs. You've got room for a pen, pockets to put things like cables. There's even room for a charging battery. There's a back pocket as well, so really ha- handy to manage all your cables and charging needs or any other thing you wanted to store there as well. So that was pretty cool. Uh, The other backpack was the uh, Tula Aspect. Now, this is a camera backpack, and I I carry around camera gear. I shoot video. I take photos. And the Aspect was perfect because it provided not only the protection for the gear, and anyone who's into photography will know that that gear is not cheap. You want to be able to protect that investment 
So that provided the protection, but also the access, really easy access to your gear. Now, in inside the aspect is a customizable padded storage area that can fit a DSLR body and your lenses, and it's accessible from the side. So if you say you got your the aspect on your back, if you want to access your camera, you simply whip it around to your front, and right there on the side of the bag is now suddenly accessible for you to rip out your camera and start shooting. Now, the top half of the bag also has a really large storage area so that it's really easy to access that any time at all. There's also room in the Aspect bag for up to a 15.6-inch uh, laptop as well. I should mention too, by the way, the Subterra backpack has also a side pocket, so side access to the computer compartment, the laptop compartment. Really handy when you want to just get your laptop in and out quickly, especially if you're going through like airport security. It's really easy to just to whip out the laptop. You know, they tell you to take out the laptop on its own. Really easy to do that out of the sub side of the Subterra. That was one of my favorite features. Uh, but the aspect also has plenty of room. That top half of the bag, as I mentioned, has room for your added, your extra lenses you can even put in there like cables and batteries zippered pockets for your your memory cards and other things even put your wallet in there uh, there's also a side strap so you can secure a tripod in place too uh, and there's room in that bag uh, if you want to fit it in there not only is there room for a laptop but you can even fit a little mini drone like a foldable drone like if you've got the dji mavic pro or the mavic 2 they will fit in there as well. That, that's another photography tool uh, as well, and they'll fit in the Aspect too. Now, the Aspect is also two hundred and ninety nine ninety five. Now, I wanted to talk more about that price. People may think, well, that's expensive for a, for a bag, but you think about what you're buying here. This is a product that's going to protect the devices and camera gear you've spent lots, thousands, potentially tens of thousands of dollars. So having a product that's $299.95, you know Tula gives you that added strength of construction. So the, the building materials are over and above what others provide. They also provide great protection. They're very durable, uh, versatile, and that's what you pay for. That, that, that quality, that, that peace of mind that you know you're getting great protection. So you know they're strong. You know they can handle your day-to-day usage and keep all your gear safe. That's really important. Uh, you know, at that price, I call it, it's an investment to protect your other investments. So I think it's worth that price. If you want to hear more or read more about the Tula backpacks, you know where to head, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can protect you and your family online. Now, we live in a world where hackers are constantly finding new ways to steal your personal information. And because we spend so much time online, it's quite possible we could find ourselves in a cyber criminal sites. Now, the Norton team is dedicated to keeping people safe online no matter how they connect. So whether you're paying bills on your phone, shopping on your tablet, or banking on your laptop, Norton Security Premium is working hard behind the scenes to help keep your information, your identity, and your devices protected. For more information on how to protect your digital life, visit Norton. Visit au.norton.com. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. This week on the Tech God Help Desk, we've got two voice bites from the same reader. Good on you. His name's Nick. 
He's got two questions that he recorded through the Tech Guide website. If you have a look at the homepage, there's a record button that'll let you do this same thing that Nick has done and record your question for me to play on the Tech Guide podcast. Here's his first question. Hi, Stephen. I'm after a sound bar for my TV. It'll be fantastic for watching movies. Give me that real virtual surround sound. But I'm after one that's effective without needing the rear uh, speakers. Any tips you could share with us? All right, great question, Nick. And uh, the answer would be, to me, I've heard the new Samsung soundbars and I've heard the new LG soundbars. Both of those have Dolby Atmos. He was after that surround sound experience. They make you hear things where there are no speakers. So in terms of needing rear speakers, Dolby Atmos solves that problem because it all, it's all generated from the front. It uses this amazing technology to fire different sounds from all different directions. You'll think they're coming from above you, behind you, beside you, and so there's no need to invest in those rear speakers. So the sort of the mid to entry level and even the top the top speakers, the top soundbars, I think Samsung's come with rear speakers, but the LGs are all uh, on their own and you can add rear speakers. So that would be my recommendation to you. Now let's listen to Nick's second question. Hi, Stephen. I'm just wondering, will the new Apple TV Plus subscription service work on earlier model LG smart TVs? Now, the Apple Plus system, uh, I think, requires Apple TV, uh, as he said. So uh, it's, it all relies on Apple TV. There is no, uh, there, the, uh, there's no app on your smart TV that will uh, allow you to watch the Apple the Apple Play, the, the new streaming service. So what you'll need to do is invest in the Apple TV 4K. That will then connect to any TV, and it will work on the older LG TV. So it's really reliant more on the Apple TV device rather than your smart TV. So uh, if, even if you've got a, a much older television, it will work with the new Apple TV. Uh, we've written all about the Apple TV, the Apple service, the TV Plus service, as well as the soundbars that Nick asked in his first question. And you can read about all of those at techguide.com.au. that's the end of our show for this week. You can read about everything that we've talked about at techguide.com.au. Send us your voice by Click on the record button on the middle of the Tech Guide site on the homepage and you could hear your voice on the next Tech Guide podcast. We'll also accept emails too if you want to go old school, info at techguide.com.au if you have a question. We want to give a special thanks too to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company to keep you and your family safe online. Thank you for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week so until then stay safe and stay connected